Yes, you would. I'm glad you agree. So, I want to, um, we're going to turn this morning to John chapter 20. We um, continue as we examine some of the resurrection uh, accounts, the gospel accounts of the resurrection of Jesus, much like we did last week. And so, uh, as, as we do this, I want to say very, very quickly, just a word of thanks and gratitude in the, the kind of the afterglow of Easter um, that we continue to celebrate and continue to be um, uplifted by for everybody who was a part of Holy Week and even the season of Lent and all the, the, the choir and the music and the, the, um, the church gatherings and Easter egg hunts and special services during the week, just everybody that was a part of that. There's too many to name individually, but no... Uh, whatever role you play, that we're incredibly thankful and blessed by your time and your talents. And so, uh, so we continue to celebrate, and we always celebrate Easter. We're an Easter people. And uh, so this morning we, we turn to John chapter 20, beginning at verse 19, as we read John's account of the resurrection, the day of resurrection. And this comes after Jesus has appeared to Mary Magdalene, and we're going to revisit that this morning. But I want to pick it up at verse 19. This is what we read. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it on my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet still have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Friends, sisters, I pray God's blessing upon the reading of his word. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, speak to us that we may believe. Speak to our hearts, to our minds, to our spirits. Through the words that are spoken here, may they come from you. And may they draw us close to you. In Christ we pray. Amen. I came across uh, in some just kind of random reading uh, this past week or so, um, the name of a, it was a science fiction writer in, in England a few years ago by the name of, um, oh, I just blanked on his name, Arthur Clarke. Sir Arthur Clarke, and, and I'm not all that familiar with his writing. Maybe some of you are. Maybe that name's familiar. But in some of his writing, and, and he was kind of a, um, 
an amateur scientist as well. He kind of came up with some, um, what they called Clark's Laws, things that, that said kind of along the lines of if a, if a distinguished elderly scientist says something is possible, he's probably right. And if he says it's impossible, he's probably wrong. That was Clark's first law. The second uh, law said that we, we, we find out what we're capable of by going to the edge of the impossible and pushing a little beyond it. And then the third thing he said, which I found very fascinating, he said was advanced technology, all advanced technologies has its roots in magic. And that, that was kind of intriguing to me. All advanced technology has its roots in magic. So I explored that a little bit. And basically what he's saying, whether you agree or not, but basically what he's saying is many, many years ago that people kind of split, and this is oversimplified, but either into a camp kind of based on astrology, where everything was preordained, foretold, it was destined, it was fate. Or they split into a camp of magic in which you could manipulate the environment. You could, you could manipulate or bend the laws and the rules of what was understood to be possible and could change expectations. And basically said that's the root for what science became, the, the study and the exploration of understanding how the world worked and how you could change things to seemingly do what generations before might have deemed either impossible or miraculous, if you will. And, and if you think about that, some of the things that we understand as um, advanced technology, the technology of the world that we live in, have you ever kind of thought about what somebody 50 years or 100 years or 200 years ago would think if they could see what we're capable of doing now. And of course, we don't ascribe it to magic. We understand it as science. But there are things out there that blow my mind. I watched a video this week on, have you seen 3D printers? Have you seen some of those things? It is a 3D printer. It's the size of large construction equipment. And they are believing it is possible. I don't know if they've actually done it yet, but believing it's possible to build a 2,500 square foot house in one day using this huge 3D printer and some basic construction materials. Now, if you ask me how do they do that, I have no clue. I mean, I saw the video, but I can't explain. There's a reason I'm not a scientist. But, but, or, or the fact that they're now, if you ever watch TED Talks, there was a, and I blanked on his name, I forgot who it was, but talked about, they're now exploring technology that allows them to use 3D printers and, and uh, cells to create usable human organs for organ transplants. Now, if that doesn't blow your mind. I mean, the things that, that years ago were unfathomable or would have seemed like miracles. I mean, today, in a few hours, I'm going to go to the airport and I'm going to get on a plane and I'm flying to Atlanta. I, I still am a little kid at heart when it comes to planes. I know there's science behind it. I understand a little bit of it, but it blows my mind that I can get in a, in a, a death tube that size and that heavy and can jet off and, you know, and can be somebody hundreds of miles away in, what'd you say? Yeah, Tony, Tony appreciates that. Uh, yeah. um, I, didn't, I didn't mean that callously. I apologize. Sometimes things come out and they don't get filtered on the way. Um, and, uh, but, uh, but, but, but you ever thought about the fact, and I know I'm stealing this from somebody, but you get on and off a plane at a place they call a terminal. Just put that together. Um, anyway, I'll stop now. So, 
so things that, that, that are miraculous. Now, here's another piece of technology that I think we take for granted, but I think is truly remarkable. And that is so much of our lives, so much of the technology we use, we now, well, let me, let me even back this up. I remember as a kid, six or seven years old, about that ballpark, the first time in our house we got a remote control to control the television. Okay, I'm in that generation that saw that technology. I remember when I was little, very, very little, but I do remember having to manually turn channels. And I remember how awesome it was when we got our first cable box that was like this big, and it slid up. It was on a slide, and you could change the channels on, the, on that slide. And it, but it was still tethered to the TV. It was on a cord, but it was wonderful. You realize now we're at a place where we're getting to the point where the remote control is not even necessary anymore? The technology exists and is being used where you don't push anything. You speak. You say channel 27 and there it goes. You say volume up, volume down, TV on, TV off. We don't even need to touch. You have um, GPSs in your cars that respond to voice commands. You have phones that respond to voice commands. And even now they have these technology, and I haven't seen this yet, but with some of these new game consoles where you can train it to respond to only to your voice. So that I could, I want this one. This is the one I want. That will only listen to me because I need somebody in my house that only listens to me. And, um, or somebody in my house that listens to me at all. Um, but, but you can do that. It's, it's this voice recognition, the fact that we can speak and we can get these pieces of technology to respond. This voice recognition software is what it is. Well, the bridge here is that voice recognition is a powerful truth that, that though the technology may have changed, that has existed, I think, in many ways since the dawn of humanity. I mean, mothers know this, I think, better than anybody. Uh, you know, little Austin comes out, I mean, he knows his mom's voice right out of the womb. I mean, we see that with the children, the way they respond in a special way to the voice of their mother, which they've heard since, since they were conceived. And they learn, well, some kids do, to listen to the voice of their fathers. Um, but it is, it's voice, it's a voice recognition. It's the ability to understand and hear and to identify. I was at, well, Thursday night, I went to Orlando uh, to listen to um, Adam Hamilton speak. That name may not be familiar to many of you, but he's a pastor, United Methodist pastor in Kansas, or in, um, yeah, out in Kansas, um, Leewood. And so I was in Orlando, so I stayed the night in Orlando with one of my best friends in ministry. And on Friday morning, because we have Disney passes, we went and met his father at Epcot and just spent a few hours there. We, he was going to treat us to lunch. So um, we're, we're there at Epcot. We're at the World Showcase um, around the lake, if you know Epcot. And uh, we went to a place to eat, and we had to wait a little while to get a table. So we had one of those beepers, and we're standing there. And right now at Epcot, they have the... Um, I don't know, the, the garden festival, the flowers and what do they call that? The flowers festival and stuff, yeah. Flower, yeah, I don't know what it's called, but they, all the pretty flowers are out. And um, all these wonderful arrangements. So we're standing there and we're waiting and we're standing across from one of the displays of flowers and um, Peter Pan and, and uh, uh, Captain Hook and all of that. And we're just talking and waiting and I see this mother walk up 
with, with her four or five-year-old little boy. She had a camera, and she was clearly taking pictures of a lot of the displays. So she just kind of stopped for a moment and just kind of, I don't know if she said anything, but kind of indicated just kind of stay here, and she started taking pictures. While we were standing here, one of the um, um, kind of uh, walls, not retaining walls, one of those three-foot-high um, I lost the word I'm looking for, but you know what I'm talking about. One of the thick walls that kind of keep you out of the flower arrangement areas. And so she's taking pictures. You know, this little guy did what a four-year-old, five-year-old little boy does. I mean, that was high enough, just high enough for him to climb up. And he started walking on the railing. Now, he was not in any danger. He was capable of handling that. It was pretty wide. But I'm watching it unfold, and he's getting further and further because the, the, the the rails or the, the, the walls go for hundreds of feet. And so he's walking further and further away from his mom. And I'm waiting for her to see, where, you know, for her to turn around and see what's, what's going on. And finally she did. By the time she turned around, he was about 20, 30, you know, 30 yards down the way. And in a crowded park full of families and parents and all kinds of noise, she yelled, stop. And that kid froze. I mean, he just, boom, it's like cement. And he just froze. She was behind him. He never looked to see who it was. He never identified. But he knew in an instant when he heard, and, and, and I found it fascinating. She didn't say, stop, Daniel. She didn't say, stop, James. She, she didn't even use his name. She just said, stop. And he dead in his tracks. Because in spite of all the noise and activities and busyness that goes with being at Epcot, he knew mama's voice. He knew his mama's voice, and he knew who it was without seeing a thing, who it was that was speaking to him. Now, we look at these resurrection appearances in the Gospels. We, I, maybe, often associate the power of recognition with what the disciples saw. They saw Jesus. And there's certainly power in that. There's certainly significance in that. But I think we overlook maybe a more powerful truth And that it wasn't just what they saw, but it's whose voice they heard. Now, I want to back up to the immediate encounter before what I read this morning. Mary Magdalene, and if you remember the scriptures in John chapter 20 says, or very early in the morning while it was still dark, Mary went to the tomb. And I'm just going to paraphrase, she found it that um, the stone had been rolled away, Jesus wasn't there. She went and got Peter and John, they ran to the tomb Jesus wasn't there. They left. And the scriptures say she sat outside the tomb and she wept. And it is there in her, in her weeping that two angels encounter her. And they ask her, why are you crying? And she says, they've taken my Lord away. This is verse 13 and 14. And I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. You hear this. But she did not recognize him. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us why or how she didn't recognize him. We can, um, you know, kind of explore that. But the Scripture doesn't say. She just didn't recognize him. And so he asked her, why are you crying? And she said, thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And the Scripture says then that Jesus turned to her and he spoke her name. He said, Mary. And in that moment, in that voice, in that name, She recognized Jesus, not based on what she saw, but she recognized his voice. She knew his voice, and she heard it. 
And then you know, she goes back and tells the disciples, and they don't buy it. They're not quite ready to believe. And remember, and we talked about this last week, and we read it again this morning in John's account, Jesus shows up. And before he does anything, he says to them, peace be with you. And in hearing his voice, they knew their master. And then the same, and he says that twice. And the same with Thomas, who wasn't there, who then kind of gets that label of doubting Thomas. And he has a few moments in the Gospels where he doesn't show the greatest faith, but I think he's unfairly kind of um, viewed. I don't think, I think he just was the unlucky disciple who wasn't there. I don't think any of the disciples would have believed it had they not been there. I don't think any of us would have believed it had we not been there. And, Je and he's not there. And he says, unless I touch him, Unless I can feel, touch, verify, I won't believe. And Scripture said Jesus showed up again. And the same thing, peace be with you. And the interesting thing is he gives Thomas an invitation that Thomas never takes. The Scripture never says that he actually touched the wounds or put his hand in the side. Because when he heard the voice, he knew who it was. There is a powerful truth in our need to learn how to hear the voice of Jesus to identify that voice that speaks to each of us, not just to his disciples, but speaks to each of us and speaks those words of peace. I think that, intro, that, that, that offer, as, as I said last week, is powerfully significant because in those moments they have so many voices that are, that are in their head, so many thoughts that they're giving an ear to, if you will, those who are telling them that their life is in danger, those that are saying that you have wasted three years of your life following the wrong guy, their own thoughts thinking that the, what they had wished and what they hoped for, that everything is crashing around them, and all these voices that are just had to be rattling all through their minds and their, in their ears. And into that, Jesus shows up and he says, peace. Shalom Aleichem. Peace be with you. In other words, I think in many ways what he says is still disperse, quiet, shut those voices down and listen to me. Hear me. And we suffer from the same thing in different ways. We have so many voices that cloud our spirits, that, that, that challenge our faith, that want to uh, challenge our, our view of ourselves. I mean, that just rattle that we, we give too much credibility to that we listen to too often. I mean, you'll hear this from, from self-help people all the time, but learning to find an inner voice. Well, for us, we're not, we're not looking to our inner voice. We're listening for another voice. But it's the voice of Jesus that speaks into our lives, his peace. And, you know, there's a, there's a, a scene, if you remember, um, everybody I think knows, but if you remember the movie Bambi, the, the, one of the early Disney movies, there's, this, there's a scene in which the forest is going crazy with life and people are running, you know, all the animals are scurrying around and they're kind of going crazy and Thumper and Bambi and um, the skunk. Which one was the skunk? Flower, thank you. I can't remember names for nothing. Flower there and they're talking to the owl. Did the owl have a name? Owl. Um, <laughs> and one of them, Thumper, saying, why is everyone going crazy? And the owl says, because of the, they're Twitter-pated. And the interesting word, they're Twitter-pated. They have all this stuff distracting them and going on all around them that's, that's drawing their attention and, and stealing their focus, if you will. Well, I think in a different kind of way, we become Twitter-pated, and we have all these voices around. And Jesus challenges us to hear his voice, to hear his voice. 
And we do that through the disciplines of faith. I mean, this is something to explore at another time, but we do that through prayer. We learn how to hear his voice. We do that through the reading of the scriptures. We learn how to hear his voice. And we do that for the people in the people that we give credibility to, to the other people whose voices we let speak into our lives. Because we know God speaks to other people. I've told you before, God speaks to me through you. And I pray every Sunday when I stand here that God speaks to you through me. But we have to decide what voices we're going to give credibility to. There's way too many voices that want our attention. And we have to learn to filter some of that and learn how to hear God speak in the voices of those whose lives honor him. Because there's a lot of junk that's out there. But we learn how to hear his voice. But... There's also a flip side that I at least want to touch on this morning. Because very often we, we and I talk about that voice of God that speaks peace in our lives. But there's a second challenge. Well, let me actually go back to that little boy at Epcot before I read this. Two things happened. I didn't get to the second thing that happened. When his mom yelled stop and he froze, she followed that up with this command. Get back here. And again, that little boy, without ever turning to verify anything as far as who was giving him the command, turned around and started walking back down toward his mom. See, it wasn't just that he needed to hear, but he needed to respond in obedience. Mom was speaking, and it was time to follow orders, if you will. Well, I want you to hear what Jesus says. He says, he says to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Now, the rest of the scriptures and acts will testify to what it means to be sent. But one of the things that we're called to be in Christ is not just those who hear his voice, but those who speak his voice. Or, let me put that maybe a little more theologically correct, those who God speaks through. Because we don't control the voice of God, God speaks through us. And that we're to live out a faith in which we, through our words and through our actions, Live that love and that grace and that hope and that comfort and even sometimes that challenge. That voice of Jesus challenges us sometimes. It's not always meant to pat us on, but sometimes it's that voice that calls us and challenges us to a new way of living and new decisions in our lives. But we're called to also respond in faithfulness and to be that voice for others, to be the, the mouthpiece of, of Jesus. There's a video going around Facebook. Maybe you've seen it. It's maybe going around the Internet and other places too. But it's, we've all seen ventriloquists. I think everybody's seen a ventriloquist and their ability to speak through an inanimate object. Well, there's, there's a video going around. If you see it, you ought to check it out. It's hysterical. But it's a ventriloquist, but she uses people from the audience to be her dummies. And she calls first a woman out of the audience, and she puts this mask on her so that she can control the, the mouth movements. And so she speaks, and you know it's her voice. It's the woman's actions, the woman's physical responses, but it's the voice of the ventriloquist. And then she calls a guy up, and it gets very, very funny, and it's very clean and appropriate, and so I have no problem recommending it to you. But I thought about that. I thought sometimes that's kind of, we're the actions, we're the movements, but it's the voice of God that speaks through us, through his Holy Spirit that we're called to be and to respond. So, so we're called to listen, but listening, that involves two things, to listen to the voice of Christ that speaks peace and to respond to the voice that calls us to go and be peace and be love and be grace for others. So it's a twofold nature right out of the gate that Jesus reminds his disciples, I offer you something and I call you to respond with something. And so it is for us. 
that we receive, we hear the voice of Jesus, speaks peace into our lives, but we respond in obedience to go and be that peace and love for others. So I pray it's kind of a, a both and thing, that we receive, that we respond, that we are blessed and we become a blessing so that through us the love and the grace of Jesus Christ would be known in us and through us. Let us pray. Loving God, that we would be faithful, be obedient, and respond to your peace by being agents of that peace and good news for others. Help us to learn to hear and to respond in faithfulness and obedience. In Christ we pray. Amen.